0: Forever
1: dog. Hey y'all, my name is Alex Berg and welcome to the LGBTQ Nation podcast. LGBTQ Nation is the nation's leader in LGBTQ news and commentary. And this podcast is an extension of both their reporting and of their mission. Each week, we focus on major topics affecting the LGBTQ community and speak with the nation's brightest thinkers, journalists, activists, politicians, and more. On today's show, we're talking about one of my favorite topics, which is LGBTQ lawmakers. In 2020, we saw a historic number of queer and trans people voted into offices at every level, from the election of the first Afro-Latinx gay congressman, Richie Torres, to the first transgender state senator, Sarah McBride. Even though it can feel like these first- are long overdue. It's energizing to see candidates who look like our communities and have similar lived experiences as us. It feels like it begins to knock down a barrier for the next queer or trans person who comes along. These new lawmakers arrive at a crucial time when we really need people fighting for our protection. There are numerous bills being introduced by state legislatures across the country that target queer and trans people and are frequently based in disinformation or hateful attitudes. So today we're going to be talking about Everything I just mentioned with two lawmakers who made history themselves as out LGBTQ people: Representative Vernita Shannon, a member of the Georgia House of Representatives, and Representative Jerry Cannon, a member of the New Hampshire House of Representatives. We're going to talk about the anti-LGBTQ legislation cropping up around the country, the issues their constituents are focused on, from the COVID pandemic to the racial justice movement, and we'll talk about the personal experiences of running for office. They have both really tackled issues that are often seen as taboo and just been real about their own experiences. Without further ado, joining me now is Representative Jerry Cannon, a Democrat representing the Stratford County District 18 in the New Hampshire House of Representatives since 2018. And when she was elected, she was among the state's first openly transgender state legislators. And Representative Vernita Shannon, a Democrat representing the 84th District in the Georgia State House of Representatives. She made history in 2017 when she came out as bisexual and became the first out bi legislator to serve in the Georgia General Assembly. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having us, Alex. Yes, thank you for having me. Well, I am So excited to talk to you both. And to start off, I kind of want to take a few steps back, actually, and talk about how you both got into office. So Representative Cannon, starting with you, um, you were elected at the same time as Lisa Bunker, who is another trans lawmaker. And you have been able to, since being elected, able to implement legislation around gender identity and LGBTQ issues. What made you decide to run for office back in 2017?
0: Even further back in 2009 and 2010, I was fighting for same-sex marriage. And the first bill that we had to try and get transgender rights, which ultimately was defeated, but it was my first exposure to the house. And back then, people asked me if I considered running. In New Hampshire, you get $200 being on the house for two years. At that time, I had a failing business, and uh, I needed to find something else to do that paid. I was driving a truck for five years, and I was thinking about, you know, I really ought to run for office when I get back. And that's that's was my impetus was really to get back in to continue the work we're starting.
1: Hmm. Now, Representative Shannon, you came out as bi in 2017. And I have to say, as a fellow bi person, I know just how much stigma we face. So it really excites me that you are out and proud about who you are. Um, what, what made you decide to run for office and how have you felt received by your colleagues?
2: So I decided to run for office because um, before running for office, I was a community organizer and activist in my personal time working on um, a host of different social justice issues, racial justice issues, equality issues, economic justice issues and reproductive health and rights issues. And basically, I decided that we needed a stronger voice in Georgia that was strong and progressive on these issues and someone who who really knew the issues. So I ran against a conservative Democrat and unseated him for this seat. The reception has been good for me, largely because I knew my issues coming into the General Assembly. And once you know your issues, it's hard for anybody to sort of uh, make you feel like you shouldn't be a part of the conversation.
1: Did you both ever see yourself as being lawmakers? or Representative Shannon, you just said you were doing a lot of organizing work beforehand. Did it seem like this was the next logical step of the work that you were already doing?
2: Oh, no, not for me at all. In fact, I said, you know, I was community organizing in my personal time. I had a very successful career in business development and was not planning on running for office. In fact, I would go to conferences with other activists who were thinking about running for office. And I would say, I'm just going to the conference to learn how to do campaign management for you. I'm all set. I don't want (laughs) to (laughs) run. Everything's working great over here. I have no interest in running. The thing that really pushed me over was understanding that I could do one of two things. I could stay on the sidelines and fight bad legislation after it's already been Hmm. passed. Um, Or I could run for office. Essentially, staying as an activist and community organizer, I still consider myself community organizer and activist. But staying in that spot was always going to keep me fighting against bad things after they've happened. So I really felt like I needed to be in the seat of power to reduce harmful legislation and proactively push for solutions that we need.
1: Hmm. Representative Cannon, how about you? I mean, it sounds like you did see becoming a legislator as uh, kind of the logical extension of the work that you were doing before. But you mentioned $200 doesn't seem like a lot to sustain oneself on while doing the kind of work you're doing.
0: I never really saw myself as a legislator. I was 31 years in the computer industry. And then I got laid off when I came out as trans. I started my own carpentry and construction business. Until the banks went bust, then I learned how to drive a tractor trailer and went on the road. And then I ended up in this wonderful little town or or small city, actually, of Summersworth with a gay mayor and uh, the two of us. Uh, got together and he suggested I might run for school board. I won there, and now I'm a state representative. So I'm I'm in my second term on both. I've won four years straight.
1: Wow. Well, I I do want to get into um, more LGBTQ-specific issues that we're seeing uh, happen across the country. And LGBTQ Nation has reported on many state-level laws that seek to walk back protections for queer and trans people, with a great deal of focus on trans children right now. So I want to talk about what things are like in both Georgia and New Hampshire, Representative Shannon. What are what is the climate looking like right now in Georgia in terms of LGBTQ issues and, of course, the many other issues that LGBTQ issues and identities intersect with?
2: Sure. So we have every year that I've been in the General Assembly, we've had bad bills pop up that are meant to target and discriminate against the LGBTQ community. These bills have mostly been religious freedom bills, everything ranging from businesses and corporations being able to refuse service to folks. And so we've seen a lot of that. And most recently, what we've seen is bills that are targeted more at making sure that LGBTQ folks cannot have the families that they dream of. Case in point, a couple of years ago, we saw a bill that was to allow adoption agencies to say that they would not have to allow LGBTQ couples to adopt children. So we have just kind of seen a consistent trend of uh, things being targeted within our community. There's been a lot of pushback whenever these bills come up, mostly from the business community. Uh, A lot of folks do not want to see Georgia as a state that is advancing discrimination. But interestingly enough, as we are on this call, um, I just saw a tweet come through for the Georgia House Representatives where a new essentially bill that would hurt trans children just got filed and we'll have a press conference. The title of the bill is to preserve female only sports. But we've seen this bill before and we know that this is an attempt to really force people to live in identities that they don't feel comfortable and identities that they don't identify with. So there's always something.
1: Yeah. I mean, it seems like right now sports is becoming essentially a vehicle for anti-trans legislation, which we can, we will get into. We can unpack that a little bit more shortly. Um, Representative Cannon, what are you seeing in New Hampshire? Have you seen legislation like this as well? Actually,
0: we have the same bill. Okay. Trans girls wanting to be in, in sports. We had it last year. We've got it again. I'm not sure. We have an all-Republican legislature this time around, so it may be difficult. We've got a couple of bills that are against the transgender population, and we have two that will benefit. We got transgender rights on the books a little over three years ago, so that's been good. We have plenty of rights for gay and lesbian folks. The door's wide open, Um, but transgenders, that's a new topic here in New Hampshire, but we've uh, been fairly successful getting uh, our rights in all of the Statutes in the state. I'm still working on how do we improve, make it easy for people to get their birth records changed.
1: Yeah, I mean, talk to me a little bit more about um, how both of these bills and this theme, I mean, this is something that is even playing out on such a national stage right now around the presence of trans women and trans girls in women's sports. I've done quite a bit of reporting on this, so I'm also well aware of this issue. Um, this idea of, you know, quote unquote, fairness for women is really being weaponized as a tool for discrimination. I want to be very clear about that. I mean, how, how do you all feel like your constituents are receiving this? Is this something that they're thinking about? Are y'all talking about transgender equality with them? Um, Representative Shannon, I mean, this just came through via via tweet. What is, what is the next step that one takes?
2: So unlike uh, New Hampshire, what Representative Cannon just mentioned, we actually don't have rights for any part of the LGBTQ community in Georgia. We don't have statewide non-discrimination legislation that has been passed. And so really, it's just been a patchwork of cities that are working to protect folks. But the majority of the cities in Georgia do not. So to me, as I mentioned before, people who want to target the LGBTQ community have been unsuccessful in targeting uh, when it comes to businesses having the right to refuse, and they've been unsuccessful being able to stop LGBTQ individuals from having the families that they want. So I think that you hit the nail on the head. They are looking at this issue of trans individuals in sports, particularly um, as a way to drive a wedge, because they know that many in Georgia don't understand this issue. This Mm -hmm. is not what a lot of folks ran on. And now with COVID going on and so many other issues, um, they are looking for a way to drive a wedge. and, And unfortunately, trans children are the target.
1: Representative Cannon, I know that there's this bill right now, I think it's HB 68, that extends child abuse to include when parents pursue gender affirming care for their children. I was reading about this. I was trying to understand it. But yeah. Why do you think the the rights of trans children have become so central in the latest iteration of the culture wars?
0: It's easy to pick on kids. Mm. I think a lot of people, especially with the sports, they don't understand that a trans girl is is a girl. And then the other side of that is making sure that they can get the right medical treatment they need to to be who they are, especially hormone therapy or hormone blockers when they're younger. And their parents are getting blamed for being bad parents, for trying to take care of their kids. It's just absurd. But we're targets because nobody understands the transgender community. Um, And it's it's very sad. I know lots of Families with transgender kids, they were thrilled when I got into office, I became a role model because it showed that their kids had a future. And right now with all these bad bills, it's sad They're really putting these folks down.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what kind of uh, protections would you like to see? You mentioned that lesbians and gay people have protections in New Hampshire. And, and then I know that you had also worked on, I believe it was a law to allow people to change their gender marker on their ID. Did I get that right? Yes. What would be the next step? You mentioned, I think it was birth records.
0: Um, what kind of protections would you like to see instituted? My first very first bill was to add an X on our driver's licenses and IDs for non-binary And I've been trying to get a bill through to make it easy for transgender people to be able to change their birth records. We do have a law in the books that they can change birth records. It's just not easy. They have to go to a judge and get it approved there. I'm trying to get done what's in 13 other states, which is to get your doctor's approval, basically, and go in with a piece of paper to your your city hall and have them take care of it with the vital records office. It's that easy. But this still those things that people just don't understand, transgender people, until you've met them. Here in my own community, people have got to know me, and there's a number of other folks, another other transgender people, and we're just normal people in our community, which is really wonderful. It's the way it ought to be.
1: Yeah, I feel like one of the um, really cool things about having so many more LGBTQ lawmakers in office right now is that young people can look up to folks like y'all and LGBTQ people serving in uh, you know in positions of power or uh, just in many different career paths so I think that it's also I would imagine there's a kind of a personal aspect to all this um, representative Shannon do you ever hear from people who uh, or LGBTQ folks who are reaching out to you personally because you have uh, decided to uh, live openly I
2: do um, after I came out and and actually the linchpin for why I decided to come out in 2016 Seventeen to the political environment was because of uh, the Trump agreement with a resolution within the United Nations that people should be able to be stoned in other countries or put to death for being LGBTQ. And that was something that, to your point, representation um, matters and is important. And so I felt like it was really important that we have high visibility so that people understand that when you are voting and passing on hateful legislation or you're pressing for this stuff, You don't know who is a part of the LGBTQ community and you need to understand that we are not some community that doesn't exist and we are not paying attention to what is happening. So I definitely think that visibility is is important. And I have had folks come out to me, other candidates, in fact, who were planning on running races um, where they were not going to highlight their LGBTQ status. And they said, you know, this gave me the courage to to openly run. Um, LGBTQ.
1: That's amazing. I would also imagine, on the other hand, that it could feel challenging if you are also dealing with colleagues who are introducing anti-LGBTQ legislation. And I know, Representative Shannon, I, I think that there are current efforts to ban conversion therapy in Georgia. And in fact, you were a co-sponsor of a bill to ban conversion therapy. What's happening with that? Are, does it have any chance to, to pass this time around? Do you have a sense of what the temperature is like in the state over this particular issue?
2: So two things. Uh, it's interesting that you brought that up because this person who filed this bill about making sure that female sports stay female This person actually is my seatmate. So we're going to have an interesting conversation tomorrow. Hmm. (laughs) Um, Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So definitely for me, I'm all about, you know, (laughs) let's confront the issue and let's have this discussion. So it definitely makes things interesting uh, serving in the chamber. So we have had proactive legislation around LGBTQ issues that have not advanced. And that is because we have been successful in defeating the anti-LGBTQ legislation. So we have a Republican House, a Republican Senate and a Republican governor. And so it's been really difficult to get anything proactively pass because they are really upset that we continue to beat them when it comes to public opinion against these anti-LGBTQ bills.
1: You mentioned what's happening at a local level in Georgia. Of course, we are just coming off of a couple of months where it was like all eyes were on Georgia and so much enthusiasm about the organizing happening in Georgia and in particular the Black women organizers who were getting folks registered and um, ready to vote. Has that impacted your work? Um, I mean, does that impact the the kind of legislation that you're trying to get past at all?
2: Sure, absolutely. Um, I serve on the Governmental Affairs Committee, which does deal with election law, although they just segmented that into a new special committee to pass bills that will make it harder for folks to vote. And I think a lot of that is because folks like myself, Representative B. Nguyen, who uh, so I'm a black woman, Representative B. Nguyen is an Asian woman. The two of us were so vocal on that committee about not doing anything to restrict voting rights. And you saw how the U.S. Senate races turned out and you saw that Georgia did go blue for Biden. And so Republicans know that they can't win on the issues and the values that they espouse. So their only tool is voter suppression. And they have been doing this Um, for years and years and years. And so now what they've done because of the results of the most recent elections, they've turned up the heat now with so many bills to make sure that the general public cannot come out and vote the way that they did in these two elections, which did not swing their way. So we're seeing everything from now folks having to show two IDs um, to vote absentee, putting two IDs in the mail. I mean, things that just don't even make sense, getting rid of drop boxes. They are doing anything that they can to restrict you know, having full participation in democracy for everyone to vote, and it's simply because they cannot win on the issues that they actually campaign on.
1: Hmm. It seems like uh, another one of these moments when it feels like uh, you know, so much of the national conversation is really trickling down into the work that you both are doing. Um, when it comes to issues like anti-trans laws or abortion access or racial justice or even the second impeachment that is, uh, you know, happening uh, as the backdrop of COVID legislation and uh, new uh, cabinet members being sworn in. What are your thoughts on the trickle down effect of the national politics discourse into state legislatures and and also the way that state legislatures then can drive issues you know, vice versa. Representative Cannon, what, what do you think of the trickle-down effect of the national politics discourse?
0: It was interesting to watch last year uh, when our governor, Governor Sununu, was sort of a mini-Trump. He was sort of lockstep in for a while, and then he switched gears over the past couple of years. We saw in our legislature, we lost out. Our Democratic legislature, both the House and the Senate, flipped this time. And we have a number of folks, free staters that are sort of, sort of in many ways, like the people that stormed the Capitol. They are not very nice people. So it's it's a real challenge right now just to watch these people in, in power. And we we are fighting to make sure we can get things done. And we have to take a whole other tack. We base, basically have to say, what can we get through? Because these, these po- folks are trying to emulate other people in the U.S. that, that really don't like current form of govern, government. On the other hand, our governor is looking actually a whole lot better now because so, they don't like him. <laughs> and he's been a, a Republican for a while. So it's, it's fascinating watching what's going on in New Hampshire because we flipped completely. It's going to be a challenging two years for us.
1: Representative Shannon, how have you seen the national politics discourse trickle down um, into the work that you're doing? Sure. So I got elected the same night that Donald Trump got elected
2: in 2016. And what we saw at the time was that many of the things that the Trump administration would try um, had been tested and proved through Georgia. So, for Hmm. example, when Betsy DeVos uh, came up and tried to change the rules around sexual assault on campus and dealing with those issues, So we had similar bills that had been knocked down, drag out fights in Georgia, Hmm. where they kind of figured out which arguments would work to get people to support what was going to be the barriers um, against some of the changes they wanted to make. So we've had a lot of testing in Georgia from Republicans where they would run it through our legislature and then we would see it happen on the federal level. Um, So that was sort of in 2017, 2018, most recently, because President Trump, uh, former President Trump, was so focused on Georgia and just not understanding that he did not win the state. We were, like you said, at the center of the political universe for so long. I mean, I remember the last couple of weeks in December as we were having committee meetings where Rudy Giuliani was showing up in our governmental affairs meetings to talk about how, you know, there had been all this fraud and Trump had actually won the state. It's a complete waste of taxpayers' time. Um, it brought death threats to a lot of folks like myself and Representative Wyn And at one point, Trump tweeted out all of our office numbers and said, hey, forget oh the governor, gosh. forget the secretary oh, no. of state. Yeah, call your Oof. representatives. All I can say is I appreciate the opportunity to fight. And I'm really glad that I came from a background of community organizing, because when you are organizing around issues, whatever you're organizing around is never popular to start. Hmm. And that's why you have to organize. So that really does build your
1: backbone to continue to
2: resist in ways that you need to and not to be easily scared away.
1: That is a lot. I'm so sorry that you were on the receiving end of all of those threats. It sounds like for so many lawmakers um, who've had their personal information tweeted out, the amount of threats that we've heard reported on, it just sounds really, really terrifying. I mean, on on a personal note, has there been anything that surprised you both either when you were running for office during your campaigns or, you know, even once you uh, were in the role, has there been anything that surprised you about being a lawmaker?
0: I think I was surprised by how long it takes to get a law through. We'll propose a bill in November, December, and it'll be June or July before it finally gets through both houses and gets put on the governor's desk. He may wait until the end of August to actually sign it, you know, three quarters of a year. And now in that time, people are constantly asking for new new laws, new bills. And We have to tell them, well, we need to submit that in the fall. We'll try again the next year. They don't understand because they're used to local government where they can go to a a selectman or to a council and ask to get something put in place. And it can happen overnight. Not in the state level.
1: Representative Shannon, you said that you were used to uh, encountering, I guess, resistance to the things that you were working on early on um, as a community organizer. Um, Has there been anything that as a lawmaker that surprised you?
2: I was surprised at how many of the progressive issues that we fight for and that we want to see change on many of the people who have been elected for so long, and we don't have term limits. um, So I would say many people on both sides of the aisle had not kept up to date with a lot of these issues. And so there's a lot of education that has to go on um, for both sides when bills do come up. And I was surprised that a lot of what people are supporting as far as our base or as far as those people who do vote Democrat, I was surprised that a lot of lawmakers still were hesitant, Democrat lawmakers were hesitant to move forward with those policies because Hmm. the culture of the chamber, it's set up to decrease your courage to fight for what you know is right. And that culture and the feeling within the chamber, definitely, it works. It it works on a lot of folks. It it works Hmm. where people can be really bold outside of the chamber and while campaigning, but inside it is definitely uh, more difficult to resist um, Hmm. what conservatives are trying to do. And it's more difficult to push for what you want. I haven't suffered from that, but I do see where colleagues have suffered, um, where they felt just kind of beat down about standing up
0: for what they know is right. We've got another challenge here in New Hampshire. We have 400 representatives. So when you want to try and convince somebody to vote you away, it's not just a few people. It's a lot of people you've got to convince. So mm-hmm. that's big challenge.
2: Yeah, we have 180 just in the House. And then uh, with the Senate, we've got 235 total. So... Representative Cannon, that, that's a lot.
0: 400. <laughs> that's a lot. 400, 424. Wow. Senate. So, yeah, it's a big legislature. Mm hmm.
1: One of the things you mentioned, Representative Shannon, is that you have not been hesitant about and afraid of standing up for what you believe in. And in 2018, actually, in Elite Daily, you wrote about your own experience having an abortion, which is something that we rarely get to hear from lawmakers. And we especially, I don't think, we often get to hear stories in the media from LGBTQ folk and access to reproductive health care. There are a number of anti-abortion measures being made in many, many states. Why did you want to speak out about? Your your own experience, um, and how does also, uh, you know, now having a personal experience, how does that form the way that you govern when it comes to this issue?
2: Well, I just thought it was important because a lot of times legislation is talked about in the chamber as if anybody who is currently elected and discussing these issues has no experience with it. And so there's a lot of othering that goes on when bad bills are being passed. So I felt like it was important to share my experience because what we talked about before, visibility is important. And I want folks to, you know, it's important to me to decrease the stigma around having an abortion. It's a medical decision, just like anything else. And if you decide that you want and need an abortion, you should be able to get one and there should not be barriers. I really had to turn up the visibility around this issue when we saw the six-week ban on abortion come through the Georgia House. For me, I promised myself that if that bill hit the floor, I wasn't just going to let them pass it like a tax bill. Um, This is an issue that's really important. Bodily autonomy is obviously Mm -hmm. connected to lots of LGBTQ issues, and so that was one where we don't have filibuster in Georgia. And I just said, if, if it comes to the floor, I'll make the speaker physically remove me. And that's what I did. I went down to the well. I talked on purpose over my time so long that the speaker would have to physically remove me uh, because, you know, bills like that are just really important. Bodily autonomy, as I said before, is connected to so many issues. To me, the culture within the legislature should not be one where people feel like what's being passed is just words on paper. It's not. Legislation has an impact on people's lives and this stuff is really important. And you know, anytime that you're gonna try and take away a person's bodily autonomy, you should expect a knockdown, drag out fight. And that's what they got.
1: Representative Cannon, have, have you also had moments like that where you were wanted to be very clear that these are just not words on a paper. I'm standing here in front of you and this legislation, anti discrimination measures, this impacts me <laughs> as well.
0: Yeah, I've I've used my background to share why these these are important and and to try and put people in my position. At the same time, I'm trying to get across to people I'm just like they are. I have the knowledge, the background, and I care about the people in our community, just like all the legislators there. I think one of the challenges, especially for a transgender person, is I have to sponsor bills that have nothing to do with the LGBT community so that people take me as a real person that's concerned about their community. That's good. Uh, but I've also had to tell the ACLU is it's I want to support the LGBT community. So let's, let's discuss what's reasonable and what's not. And then let's find people in that community to take on those so that none of us looks like we're just a one-topic legislative.
1: Um, So looking forward uh, to the rest of 2021, um, what are some issues that you both are looking forward to working on or that feel urgent in terms of working on?
2: Um, For me, one of the things that I've consistently worked on and I will continue to work on in 2021 is issues of police accountability. Um, I've said for a long time that we have no idea what law enforcement has been doing in this country, and we still don't know. There's not a lot of tracking, um, and there's certainly not a lot of accountability when officers clearly just break the law and for black folks like myself black and brown folks um, we have felt the disproportionate impact of basically lawlessness among law enforcement so i am once again working on bills that are aimed to uh, make sure that law enforcement is not above the law and that there is some accountability built into their system systems work best with accountability and law enforcement is no exception um, i'm also working on healthcare issues Uh, We know that Georgia has been one of the places with some of the worst maternal mortality in the world. Um, And so last year, I led an effort to have the state expand Medicaid um, for folks who've just given birth to let them stay on up to a year, where previously they were being kicked off at 60 days. So we got six months um, in that fight. We were able to win a little, um, but now we are pushing for the other six months. So there are a host of issues that I'm working on, um, living at the intersection of so many identities, mm-hmm. being a, bl- a Black queer woman. There's always something to be worked on, I'll say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Representative Cannon, how about you? I'm working on a uh,
0: trying to standardize our mental health courts uh, across our counties. I was in a commission the past couple of years to try and understand how we were handling mental health issues, Try and get people who were incarcerated help they needed so we can get them back in in the public rather than being incarcerated for some other crime. Because we have a lot of people in the court system that are incarcerated that really shouldn't be there, and they cost the state a lot of money. We've been working on that, and that's one of my bills this year is to standardize what each of our counties offer for mental health court, um, get the uh, justices up to speed on how to work that, and um, get the the people that really should be getting health care healthcare they
1: we need. Hmm. Well, I could easily continue to talk about all of these things with the both of you, um, but I just have one more question for each of you. Um, both of you serve alongside other LGBTQ people. As I've said a couple of times, this has been a really historic year for electing queer and trans lawmakers. What advice do you have for others who are considering running in the future? Um, you know, folks, I guess, from uh, various different marginalized communities who, uh, you know, maybe haven't seen themselves represented before, What's your advice if they're interested in running for office?
2: The advice I always give is that many more people should consider running for office. In order to have a truly representative democracy, which is a way that our system was set up, you have to have diverse representation. And we still have the case in this country that the people who have been allowed to vote the longest, meaning white men, um, are still the majority of government at the federal level, the state level, and the local level. And when you've got a situation like that, that means that you're not hearing all of the concerns of all the communities and you're not, there's no way you can get legislation that is really gonna cover everybody if the uh, representative democracy part is off. And so it has been um, since the inception of the government and it continues today, and so we really need people to not discount themselves and to understand that they have something important to contribute to the conversation, and that they should run for office.
0: I would say pretty much the same thing. I think people are scared to run for office; they don't know what it takes. Um, and try and get it through in people's minds is you don't have to have a legal background; you just need to be concerned about your neighbors. Uh, It could be the LGBT community, but anyone and everyone, the school systems, whatever. If you've got an issue or a topic you want to get involved with, get involved with it. Um, Help work with uh, existing legislators to learn how to run for office. Um, There's plenty of people to help. You're not doing this all on your own. There's people that want to help you get elected. So just get out there and do it.
1: Well, thank you both so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Um, Where can our listeners find you? So
2: I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram um, at Renita Shannon. So it's R-E-N-I-T-T-A-S-H-A-N-N-O-N. Very easy. All three platforms,
0: same handle. You can find me on on Facebook, um, Facebook slash Jerry Cannon. Um, I have three different accounts there, one for school board, one for representative. So they're there. I do have a Twitter account. Jerry Cannon. I've got a couple of spots, but don't be afraid to just get on the state site. It's got all my information, including my home phone number.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you both so much. Each week, I'm going to tell you about a good story, some happy news about something related to LGBTQ issues. LGBTQ Nation has a story about a student named Shade at the College of Southern Idaho who went viral on TikTok after they recently emailed their professors to say that they use they them pronouns. Well, one professor responded saying that she wouldn't use Shade's correct pronouns because it went against the professor's convictions. So Shade wrote back in an email, quote, I'm sorry, I think there was a misunderstanding here. You seem to think I'm making some kind of request. I was just informing you of my correct name and pronouns so you know how to refer to me. Shade continued, Intentionally misgendering a student is actively creating a hostile environment and discriminating on the basis of gender identity. That goes against the school's non-discrimination statement. I know you wouldn't want to do that. And I just have to say... That response is on point. So far the TikTok where Shade explains all of this has nearly 2 million views and Shade has since said they're fighting so that other non-binary and trans students don't have to go through the same thing. To which I say, bravo. I wanna recognize a few aspects of this story. First of all, a professor is in a position of power so it can be scary to stand up for yourself as a student. It's awesome that Shade recognized that they deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Finally, their response says it all. This isn't a request. This is how to refer to them. And if you don't want to comply, you're violating school policy. Pronouns and gender identity are not up for debate. And to our listeners, please make sure to support the LGBTQ Nation podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review our show right now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Five stars, please. And check out LGBTQ Nation every day at www.lgbtqnation.com. LGBTQ Nation has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. LGBTQ Nation is hosted by Alex Berg. Produced by Andrew McGuire. Engineered by Katrina Henning. Music by Gabe Lopez. Executive produced by Joe Cilio, Scott Gatz, John Halbach, Bill Browning, and Melissa D. Mons.
0: Forever! <coughs> Dog!